and welcome to Sussex Tell Teaching with Tech podcast. This is season two, episode four. My name is Tab Betts and we're coming to you from Technology Enhanced Learning at the University of Sussex. In some of our previous episodes, we've talked about some really interesting topics such as specialism-based learning with Professor Lynn Murphy, where we talked about how Lynn gave students a specialism within her subject, so giving them each a subtopic to specialise in and complete a research project around that throughout the module. And before that, we talked about object-based learning with Dr. Maria Kukareva, which is a way to bring kind of more physical learning into the classroom. Definitely worth checking out those episodes. But today we've got a very exciting guest on the show who's come from a little bit further away than usual. So I'm joined with Claire Fennell, who is a senior instructional designer from University College Cork, UCC, on the south coast of Ireland. We're going to be talking about how we can blend classroom teaching with online learning. Let's get in and talk to Claire. So as you said, my name is Claire Fennell and I'm a senior instructional designer in University College Cork in Ireland. University College Cork is probably a similar size to Sussex University, probably slightly bigger, and it's based in Cork, which is a similar size to Brighton, I would think. It's Ireland's second largest city. So why is it that you're here at the University of Sussex now? So yes, so I came to Sussex four days ago and I'm on an Erasmus Plus visit. Uh, So Erasmus, it's a European Union program which allows the likes of me to come visit another university to learn and see and to shadow I suppose what the tell team do on a daily basis so that we can then go back or I can go back and share those practices with my own team when I go back. Brilliant so um, it's very exciting to have you here because it means that we can kind of exchange ideas and also because your team has a slightly different specialism right so what what's the difference um, in terms of what you do compared with what our tell team here at Sussex does? That's correct yeah we from what I from what I've seen over the last few days uh, the focus is slightly different um, and we are a tell team we're actually called the instructional design team and there's uh, six of us on the team um, and I suppose our focus and we 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 came from background where we were developing online learning and I suppose what we would call significantly blended learning which is uh, you know n- distance learning effectively but they might uh, come to the to campus once every so often um, so our focus from the instructional design team is very much around content kind of creation and design, whereas, uh, and then we would do some kind of staff training um, and kind of trying to promote different ways of using technology across um, in, in educational situations. Brilliant. So that's kind of uh, sort of the other way around from our focus here, where we focus a bit more on the kind of staff development and workshops and things. And but we also do some of the instructional design. But I think it's really helpful because at this particular time of year, um, we're getting we've got the the new academic year coming in September, and people will be thinking about you know how do I create a really good module site for my new students coming in. Um, or how do I update a module site that I've already been using for some time? And particularly here at the University of Sussex, because we've got a new virtual learning environment, we've got Canvas, so people are going to be really, um, you know, they're going to have this great opportunity to recreate their course sites in a new way. And so um, I thought it'd be really good to talk to you about some of the ways that you can match your classroom practice um, and translate some of those things into online materials and kind of blended learning activities. So... um, What kind of approaches do you think are useful when designing online materials or designing your your course site on the, or your module site on the VLE? 
Okay. Um, so firstly, I agree that a lot of what we do to build an online course is is uh, translatable to a blended or even a face-to-face uh, as a way of complementing a face-to-face class. So um, when we're building our online courses or blended courses, we would use what's called the ADDIE model. That's A-D-D-I-E. And it stands for Analysis, Design, Development and uh, implementation and evaluation. So I suppose it highlights the different stages we would go through in creating the online materials. So the analysis phase, uh, we would look at, um, you know, who are the learners? What exactly are their needs? What contexts are they coming from? Um, what kind of skills do they have uh, in relation, you know, digital skills? And um, do they have any specific needs? Uh, we would also look at the actual activities. We would anal- uh, um, analyze the um, the exercises that are there already in a face-to-face model and and look at how do we translate that into an online situation. So so that's the analysis phase is very much at looking at the existing offering and seeing what we need to change and update. Right, I think that's a really good point. So the first stage really with anything, if you're going to be introducing technology in any way, I think really is is that kind of needs analysis process, right? Looking at that's the context, right. what's appropriate? Because it's always about, is it suitable for that particular context, right? Exactly. Okay, and then what yeah. comes after that? So after that, you have the design phase. So I suppose at that point, we've kind of decided the learning outcomes um, and uh, the activities, uh, roughly speaking, of course. And then the design phase will will effectively, you know, in particular, we tend to look at take the first section of content, so maybe unit one, uh, and and we effectively try to build something, maybe a prototype of sorts. And, and, and we show that to the lecturer, um, who then comes back saying this will work, this won't work. And, and you know, it's a, it's a feedback. It's, it's a very iterative process. And from there, we, uh, so once we kind of, we spend a lot of time on the first section of content. And then from there, once we're kind of, we feel we have it quite happy, uh, quite, uh, you know, we have it quite refined. We then go into the development stage where you're kind of uh, following, I suppose, the kind of, format you've decided for the first section and creating the the, the following uh, units okay that's great so um i think i want to just dig a bit deeper into the design stage because it's very important and i and i think that's a really good tip actually that what you do is you make sure you get that first chunk of the course right so that then you can kind of build other chunks and fit it all together in a consistent way right Um, So could we just dig a bit deeper into what kind of principles you might use or what kind of tips you would give for that design process? So what, what would be really important when you're designing these materials? So um, when we're looking at the design, we're looking at a lot of things. Um, uh, And, and I suppose, firstly, we, we look at if the content existed already or is it a brand new course? Um, you know, if it existed already, what format did it take? Was it PowerPoint slides or maybe it was, um, a discussion or, um, I don't know, uh, a, a, you know, a more of a seminar situation. So depending on the learning outcomes, very much depending on the learning outcomes and also, uh, I suppose the aim, the overall educational objectives of what's trying to be taught or what's trying to be learned is, um, from there, we're, we're looking at, okay, well, what activity does this translate to? So if you have a, a very simple example is if you have maybe uh, currently you have a tutorial face to face with a group of students, 
we would probably translate that into maybe either a live webinar or a discussion board um, so so that you're keeping that element of discussion um, and and um, and just sharing and, and learning from each other that's great so I think that's that's a very useful um, way to look at it and also you talked about keeping things clear keeping things simple and could you say a bit more about um, exactly like how the information should be organized and presented yeah so a huge part of online learning is around the communication needs to be very clear because you obviously don't have those face uh, those face-to-face kind of cues you might get in a classroom so uh, some of the things we would look at in also in the design fa- phase probably would be um, uh, we would break down the material into kind of manageable chunks so you would kind of maybe something that might be a lecture might be broken into several you know small packages that they might have to work through and those would be kept a similar size um, because that consistency means that if a student knows that they can sit down and do 20 minutes now and then tomorrow it'll take them 20 minutes to do the next bit, that's quite important. And it also allows the student to feel like they're progressing if they're kind of smaller chunks. So that's one thing. The other thing we would look at would be um, making very clear instructions. So um, we would... Uh, it, the instructions, uh, any, you really have to kind of write things quite explicitly and say, you know, uh, you must now submit your assignment by going to, this is a very simple example, but, you know, y- you can't leave any room whatsoever for, um, for kind of ambiguity. Right. So part of it's about that sort of clarity. Um, I, I mean, I, th- I think that part of it's about that, that clarity and also about the quantity of the information as yeah. well. So I think chunking is a really important idea. Um, and there's a lot of research in, in neuroscience and also in kind of educational psychology and, um, ed- and kind of pedagogy about ha- the benefits of chunking information into, you know, into smaller chunks because it's easier to process and easier to remember. Um, and it also makes it easier to manage your content, right? Because if you have to change something, exactly. <laughs> then, you know, you only have to come back and change that one chunk rather than um, changing the whole thing. Um, but you also, um, so kind of the key things were about making it simple and clear, clear instructions, um, making it consistent, right? So it, it all um, ties together and um, breaking it down into into chunks so yes. it's easier to manage. Um, yeah, they would be the key things, I suppose, around consistency. Consistency is hugely important in online learning because um, if you, what can happen is it can cause confusion if, if something isn't quite clear. So by being consistent, you're keeping that clarity and you're allowing things to melt into the background. So, for example, a very simple example of this is around navigation. If a student is on one module or course site and the content is broken up into weeks, and they that's fine um, but then they go in and the next day they're in the other module site and the content is broken up by theme every time the student logs in to whichever course they're having to think about navigation that's something that we would try to avoid so that the student can actually focus on the content instead of um, that kind of um, having to worry about small details so consistency allows you to kind of keep the small kind of less important details and put them in the background and keep things clear right so in a way it's that kind of 
you know that kind of 80 20 principle thing we just want the 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 20 percent the most essential stuff to be focused on and then the 20 percent of that 20 percent so really like focusing on the key stuff and not getting distracted exactly. by other things right so Absolutely. like the, the process of navigating um or um you know having too much material for them to process so yeah. that's i think that's really really um useful advice so moving from the design into the development um side of things um would you like to say a bit about development and also kind of what tools you might use during mm -hmm. the development process? So the development process, pretty much uh, once we've kind of decided more or less what the prototype is or, or what way we're going, obviously we can tweak throughout the development. Um, but for the most part, uh, we uh, would try to, once we have a format decided, we try to stick to that format for, for example, a particular unit. So um we use a number of tools. The tools are dependent on on what's actually being taught, why, what what the learning outcomes are. Um, the the tools. So to give you an example, I suppose in, in UCC we would have uh, G Suite, which is Google Apps for Education, was its old name, and so that gives us access to. Um, uh, all the Google Docs, Google Forms. It means students have access to to Google Drive, which can be quite useful. Uh, um, we just, all, to, sorry. just to clarify on those, because some mm -hmm. people might not be familiar. So Google Drive is like a kind of online storage, um, something like Dropbox exactly, or like yeah. a OneDrive, that yeah. kind of thing, right? So it's like an online folder for resources. Uh, you mentioned Google Docs, which yeah. is basically... So Google Docs is very much like Word, Excel, except you have an online version. It's quite good for collaboration. Um, so I suppose we would use a bit of that. There's also a tool called Google Sites, which lets uh, you create a website, a simple website. So that's actually has been used uh, at times as well. And that's improved a lot recently, actually, hasn't it? it? Has, Cause yeah. it the old one wasn't as good, but now you can also embed your you know, your Google documents yeah, and your Google forms nice. within the Google sites. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty good. So and I suppose the other tools we would use would be Office 365, which you guys have as well, I think. Yep. And then there are a number within Office 365. Um, we use, well, I use Sway quite a bit. Um, and so Sway is a presentation tool in Office 365. Um, and yeah, so that's actually quite interesting. So it's a bit like, it's, it's kind of like PowerPoint yeah. or like Google Slides. But it's it's actually a bit more than that as well. We were talking earlier about how you could create a sort of almost create an e-learning package, an interactive e-learning package using Sway. Could we talk a bit more about that? Yeah. So we, I suppose, we've kind of tended to move away from uh, licensed software such as Articulate Storyline because of the fact that it's licensed, and and we want you know the packages that we create to be maintainable by. Uh, you know, easily maintainable, I, I suppose. And if there if there's a license fee, that automatically creates a, a barrier. So we're trying to stay away from license. So what we've we have started using uh, Sway quite a bit, and also the other one we've used a bit is Nearpod, which I think is used here a bit. Um, so Sway is the Microsoft presentation tool that allows you to. It lets you embed certain tools. It won't let you embed everything, but it lets you embed certain tools. So for example, you could embed a form that could ask a question. Would be one uh, simple example you can also um, I believe uh, embed certain charts uh, I haven't actually done that but, but you then did say you, can you can say you can embed videos and you can yeah. do um, you said Padlet as well is that right I think you can embed Padlet I'd have to double check but I think you can but but anyway I mean I think the concept 
is is interesting because I think if you use a PowerPoint presentation, you're very limited in what you can embed. I mean, you can basically embed links or, or you can embed videos. Um, but the idea of being able to have a, a form embedded within your your Sway presentation. So you can have your slides and you move through your slides, but then you could have a question that's in a form. So the students could actually respond to that question um, and it's there within your um within your presentation yeah. yeah but but that could also be used kind of outside of class time right so it could be like in flip learning it could be done as part of the of course, homework yeah, yeah. yeah of course yeah um yeah there's no time uh there's no time uh, i suppose limit on it um and that's something in fact we stay away from where possible is when you're creating online courses you have to remember that some of the times your students might not be in the same time zone so it's something it's another factor that we take into consideration and therefore we tend we do do some live uh, kind of uh, webinars but for the most part we try to keep things asynchronous uh, especially where we have students who may not be in the same um, you know location or time zone yeah that's a that's a good point and also for you know students who are on placements and things like that you know they might have very busy schedules so um, being able to do things in an asynchronous way so they can choose the time that's suitable for them to do it um, that's quite powerful I think it maintains the flexibility that is the advantage of online learning right so that's a good point actually that flexibility is really one of the key advantages that that we can bring to this because um, it allows people to access the information in their own way in their own time mm-hmm. um, and there's another tool you introduced me to as well which i wasn't familiar with before Rujum. yeah so yeah. Rujum comes from um i think it's actually coming from a business background but a marketing background but it's a free tool um it was paid for a while but now it's free there is a free version and Essentially, what Rujum does is it lets you package links and you can kind of annotate them. So it lets you, if you, the, the context where we would use it is, for example, you might, a very simple example is you might have a PowerPoint presentation that refers to five or six links. Rather than have the, the student click into each and each link and then have to go back to the PowerPoint, you can create a package which lets you, um, basically go through each link in in order in a kind of a sequential order and you can also put small comments around uh, those links um so then um and it also gives you a kind of visual preview of the exactly, site yeah, doesn't it, it so does, it's yeah. it's quite visually appealing and it's yeah. it almost feels like a sort of interactive website yeah but it's actually sort of like an annotated bibliography for web links yeah right? and you like can actually upload pdfs and images to it as well so uh, at times we've created resource packages whereby you might have a couple of web pages but then you actually have a pdf and then you might have more web links so you can actually put different types of content um the other big advantage of it is it's very easy to use it's pretty much a case of pasting links addresses in yeah, and it, and it sort of creates the the visual part of it for you. So if you put the link in there, it will give you a visual preview of that website yeah. um, automatically. So I think that's a really nice and easy thing you could do. For example, for each week's resources or something, you could create a little Rujum package um, with links and PDFs and, and stuff that you could then embed within your virtual learning environment site, right? Exactly. That's that's what we do. We can You can embed, um, although I did try it with Canvas, the other day while I was here and it didn't seem to embed there. Ah, interesting. <laughs> well, um, I'll, I'll definitely look into that. Embed, I think. Okay, but there usually are ways to get around yeah, these things probably. and find a way to embed it. Um, so um, we also talked a bit about um, discussion boards, right? So um, how can discussion boards um, be used within this kind of 
online learning context? So we use discussion boards quite a lot. Um, when we are setting up discussion boards, we would give a few kind of basic tips, and I'm sure many of these would kind of translate over to a blended situation where someone might want to try a discussion board. Uh, but some of the ones we would use, we would we would usually advise that maybe the discussion be time limited. So um, it, I mean, the time, it's how long it's open doesn't, I mean, maybe a few days or whatever. You can obviously choose that yourselves. But um, by having it time limited, you're forcing more interaction in a shorter period of time, and therefore it feels more active. Um, you, we would also usually encourage that the discussion board, that maybe um, that it would be incentivized by giving it a very small, participation would be incentivized by giving it a very small percentage. You're talking no more than 5%, but just so that they... Um, th so that there is an incentive to actually start posting because often that first hur the hurdle or the biggest hurdle in a discussion board is being that first is that first post people are a bit uh, I suppose shy about creating a post and and it, in, in a lot of cases it's the first time posting to a forum so so that's a good point actually because you're to sort of break the ice haven't you exactly and and if you don't have the possibility of of um, of giving some kind of weighting to it in terms of assessment, mm -hmm. I think the idea of having the time limit is a really good idea. So giving a specific window of time when people post, it could be um, it could be a, like at one particular time in, in an evening, but then if you've got people, you know, um, off campus or in other countries or whatever, you could do it over a period of three days or exactly. something like that. Um, and the other thing is you if you have students face to face you could do it in a teaching session Absolutely. if you had access to you know people could use um, digital devices their their own phones or tablets or or if you have access to a computer suite um, you could actually get them posting and commenting on each other's posts exactly. as part yeah. of a session, right? So exactly, that's another tip we would often give is that apart from asking the student to answer the question or, or to, to to debate a topic, you we often also encourage that they maybe, you, part of the task is actually go comment on another student's reply so that you're kind of creating a conversation. Um, and the other point we would make around discussion boards is often it's obviously hugely important to also moderate them. And, and so we would advise our lecturers who might be moderating the discussion to, to subscribe to them so that they get an update when there is. Um, you don't need to reply to every single comment, but it is important that you are seen to be in replying and, and that it's clear that you're reading because otherwise the students will just fall away. Um, so that's uh, another point. And I suppose the final point about discussions is... We often use discussions, we advise people use discussions for FAQs, to create a bank of FAQs. So if a student asks a very simple question, such as, um, uh, you know, when is the assignment due or what, how, you know, how many, how many references should I have? Very simple, doesn't matter what the question is. But that rather than just reply to that student, um, we would ask, we would tell or advise our, our lecturers to create a thread with a question, a thread per question so that all the students, and then you would answer that, um, that question in the thread so that all the students can see all the questions and all the answers. And you can actually then roll that forward the following year because a lot of the questions will still apply. So I suppose. Yeah, that's a great idea. I think creating an FAQ, like using a forum as an FAQ space, um, and then reusing it in future years with with future students. Um, and you could also do that um, with other kinds of resources. You could create resources collaboratively, like a glossary, for example, where you could have key terms and get students to post definitions or links to things related. Um, so that's a nice creative way to use um, discussion forums. 
within your VLE site. Um, okay, so so we've we've looked at um, analysis. So we've got the the A. We've got the the, the D, which is design. Mm -hmm. We've looked at that as well. We've now talked about development. Um, so what about um, implementation? Um, could we talk a bit about implementation and maybe you could say, um, you could talk about some examples of, of kind of uh, projects that you have helped to implement? Yep, um, so implementation is really where the, the lecturer takes and runs with the material and at that point they maintain it. Um, we would give some uh, very simple advice around kind of guidelines we might give would be there should be a very clear communication policy when when you're actually going live that a student should know for example that they if they send an email asking a question that they would get an answer within 48 hours or 24 hours whatever it is but the point is that the student's expectations are clear um so the i mean around implementation it's it's the point where really the we, we actually play less of a role and the, and the lecture takes over um as for examples of of you know, uh, where some nice examples, which I, I've seen I, that have been done in Cork. One of my favorite ones is the Family Law um, website. So um, about a couple of years ago, one of the lectures, one of the law lectures came to us and um, she wanted to create, she wanted her students to maintain a blog and create a website which would be public facing. So she created... We created a WordPress site, it's familylawinformation.ie, and uh, essentially this uh, website, it's an informational website aimed at the general public, explaining the basics of family law and where they can get more information. It's a, it's a very good resource. But what's very nice about this project is that the information was collated and then um, put together by um, the students. So in doing that, they learned about how to write a website in plain English because these are law students. So uh, it's a bit of a change for them in that sense, as opposed to writing legal kind of jargon or, or documents. And then um, the other thing they would have learned is that they would have learned a bit about creating and editing websites, which is obviously uh, digital skills, which would be useful in um, in uh, kind of the real world, so to speak. Yeah, because I mean, if, if any student goes out and gets a job in the future, um, it's very likely that um, that their company or their department would also have, you know, social media platforms, they would have a, a blog. And so having those digital skills would make them a lot more employable, right? And also more valuable as an employee when exactly. they're in the organization. Exactly. And the other advantage of the uh, of this was that the students could actually say that they were published in the sense that they had done a blog post about a particular. And this is something that they can then show to a potential employer when they're looking for a job. So I think w what I liked about that is it's a very real, there's a very real need for communication and it uh, and it forced the students to to touch on skills which are useful and in in a in a job um, and um, which you know translate but it's outside of their their specialty um, so that was the the family law project yeah that's fantastic um, and that's I think that kind of idea of getting students to blog um, is something you could use in almost any discipline um, so that's definitely worth uh, trying out and WordPress is a is a really good platform for that but there are a number of other platforms as well that people can try um, but we do have university um, word. We do have a university um, blogs, you know, platform here at the University of Sussex. So if people want to do that, they can get in touch. Um, but I know that you do a lot of stuff with video as well. Um, 
And you told me about some really interesting stuff um, about kind of summarizing lectures in videos. Do you want to say a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So we have, um, uh, we, we use a lecture capture software called Pan- Panopto. And one of the things we've encouraged uh, lecturers to do, um, and it's, it, it applies to more of a face-to-face context, is that uh, we've advised or we've we've given the suggestion to two lecturers that they would go once they've given their face-to-face lecture which is maybe only you know an hour or whatever that they then go back to their office and they record a five-minute summary video of the lecture so effectively what they're doing is creating um short summary videos around the key slides and and the highlights of the lecture and 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 emphasizing really the important points um when this has been done, the students have, uh, it's been very popular. The students have really liked it because uh, effectively it's, it, it creates kind of like, I suppose, keynotes for revision. Um, so it's, it's been a very popular thing. The other example that when it comes to video has been, uh, there was some, uh, we had a, an MA that was looking at, uh, in, in the area of psychology, and they wanted to create their MA was a blended course where the students came, I think it's once every two weeks. And what they did was they uh, kind of essentially flipped their classroom. So they created kind of small clickable packages, um, which were, um, which the students had to work through before coming to the lecture. And one of the things it added into those, uh, those packages were short, very short, only about a minute long videos. But the videos, all the video gave instructions. It would it would be maybe they're literally a minute, but they might just be summarizing maybe a key point or definition or you know the next part of a task. But those short videos gave structure, gave a very good structure to the module, um, and they gave it a very kind of a consistent look as well because it was the same presenter against the same background and it was just um it just really tied things up very nicely yeah it's a really nice idea you know for for each week of the of your module you could just have a very quick one minute introduction video um and that also makes it a lot more personable as well i think because you come into a website and it's not just like a kind of you know it's not just a, a a blank piece of technology with a few files on it it's it's actually a place where you see the face of the people who are teaching you and they're talking to you directly um it really makes it feel much more of a personalized experience right absolutely and that's uh, that's a very important aspect in online learning because obviously isolation is an issue um when you're trying to do something by yourself and, and it's it's hard to get that connection that, that you would have in a classroom with your peers so um the a profile photo or a short introdu- introductory video or uh, videos throughout like in that case um are all very helpful in trying to combat that kind of isolation and and the anonymity that that can be uh with being online great so um you know you could do that with your lecture capture system in your institution or if you don't have that you could also use a a webcam or use the camera on your phone to record it um and there are some also some really useful tools for recording the screen of your computer as well aren't there we talked about a few of those um in our discussions earlier do you want to say a bit about some of those tools so yeah, we would use. Um, it all depends on uh, on what you have, I suppose. But there are a few free tools like Screencastomatic is one we use, and Screencastify, uh, Zoom. Yeah, so Zoom's another one um, where it's it's kind of like a, a, a 
almost like a video conferencing tool or like it's a bit like Skype or something like that except that it's designed for tutoring so you can have a whiteboard and you can share your screen with the other person but actually you can have a call even without another person so you could actually just start a call and then you can record it so you can create a screen recording you know share your screen record whatever's on your screen and save it as a video um, and then put that into your um, module site yeah no exactly um so Screencasting, I think we found, is particularly useful around when you want to demonstrate. Um, demonstrate maybe something like, I know we have one person who used it a lot when they were doing Excel and they were trying to explain through Excel, but you can also use it for your PowerPoints and just talk through the key points like we were saying, or, you know, there's there's several uses. Yeah, great. So we've, we've gone through um, nearly the whole process, right? We talked about analysis, design, development. Now we've just talked about impl implementation. So we've talked about a couple of examples where, you know, in law they've used student blogging um, and then you know they've, they've used um, kind of flipped classroom approaches using short videos in was it in psychology, psychology yeah. yeah so in psychology um, so the final stage really of the the whole process is the evaluation right do you want to say a bit about that of course so the evaluation is um, we would evaluate uh, for the most part probably I assume like yourselves you probably have end of term evaluations these would come in the in the form of uh, often surveys. Um, we also, uh, in some cases, I think the person who did a psychology might have done focus groups as well when she was trying to evaluate. But um, so we, I mean, it, 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 we evaluate kind of throughout the process. As, as it's developing, you're evaluating is what you're doing right and should we change it or does is this meeting the needs of the students? You're doing that throughout the development and the design and then obviously at the end you're having your end of term. So I suppose the evaluation is, is going on the whole time and with a little bit more at the end to see, okay, did the exercise work or not? That's a very good point that the evaluation can be kind of threaded through the whole thing um, and then at the end as well. And actually that's a good principle for assessment too, right? So having that kind of formative assessment going throughout the whole process um, and, you know, having having it be integrated and also then having it at the end as well. Exactly. Yeah. So the assessments, I mean, the assessments, we, we probably decide for the most part at the beginning when we're doing the analysis. But um there is formative, we, we, because again, you need, you want to avoid isolation in online learning, you do want interaction. And I suppose, so then we would put in kind of shorter formative assessments throughout as well and keep, keep the learner active, um, in, in trying to, in some cases it's group work, in other cases it's, you know, just a simple short quiz maybe, or there's lots of different types of, but there is formative assessment throughout, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And so I think that's good principle for assessment. And it also applies to the design process. So we're kind of evaluating yes, what we're exactly. doing and, you know, how, how that works in the classroom. So great. We've got lots of great ideas from today's um, interview. And uh, just finally, you know, where can people find out more about you? Um, where can they find you online? Okay, so um, they can obviously email me. There's no problem with that. My address is claire.fennel at ucc.ie and Claire with an I. And then uh, also uh, our team has a website. It's instructionaldesign.ucc.ie. Um, and so on that, we would have various resources that people are welcome to take and look. And there's a few blog posts around. There's a blog post around the family law um, case and, and a few other bits and pieces. But obviously, there's no problem emailing if there's any questions. Great stuff. And uh, are you on Twitter as well? 
Uh, I am. I'm at Claire Fennell. And then we our team handle, which is probably used more, is at ID underscore UCC. Great stuff. Thanks very much, Claire. Thank you very much, Tab. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast.